It's the Magic Untapped podcast on magicuntapped.com, YouTube, and your favorite source for podcasts. Welcome to the Magic Untapped podcast. I am Barry White. With me is one of the Magic Untapped writers, Jim Avery. Jim, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Barry. How about yourself? I've been doing all right. Um, you know, kind of hard to play a little paper magic with all this COVID stuff going on, but we got, you know, Arena and Magic Online. You've been keeping yourself busy with that? I have, yeah. It's, I've been used, I used to play a bunch of uh, in, in-person drafts with some friends around the Bay, but it's been difficult to do that, obviously. But we've sort of jury-rigged a way to, like, force everyone into the same draft table in Arena, and so... That's sort of how we've been coping with the situation. <laughs> Everybody press go now. Yes, exactly that. And <laughs> if we don't make it, we do it again. And in one case, we have had to like forcibly terminate another table with other people in it to try and get in. And I'm sorry about that too, wherever you were. But... <laughs> They're like, oh, that jerk, he did it to me again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, we just had rotation here on on, uh, on Arena with uh, Zinnikar Rising uh, coming out next week on paper, coming out, uh, well, now on Arena. Uh, have you had a chance to take a look at that at, at all yet? Um, yeah, I was looking through the Zendikar deck uh, earlier this week, uh, mostly checking out the draft, you know, draft-related stuff, because that's mainly what I play. But yeah, it's I like the look of it so far. Yeah, it's um, definitely intriguing. Uh, of course, uh, the set's bringing back uh, a couple mechanics that we've seen previously. We saw a kicker, which was last seen in Dominaria, and it's bringing back Landfall, which uh, has seen life uh, pretty much on Zendikar in every Zendikar-related set, it seems. Uh, what are your thoughts on those uh, returning uh, mechanics? Are you happy about those? Um, I am. I am particularly happy about Landfall, which looks like it's going to be used in some extremely cool ways. I have seen some fantastic Landfall cards in this deck, and I can't wait to give that a try on Arena. Definitely a lot better than just a simple uh, you know, Landfall, this creature gets plus two, plus two, and two in the turn sort of things. I mean, there's, there's some actual full-on uh, pretty, cool, uh, pretty cool Landfall abilities, such as with the new Omnath card. Have you looked at that card? Omnath, Locus of Creation? Um, I think I missed that one, unfortunately. I thought I got all the good land cards. <laughs> uh, well, it's, so it's a 4-4 Mythic. Costs red, green, white, and blue. Uh, it's a legendary elemental. Mm. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. So it replaces itself, which for a 4-4 four, four, for 4 that replaces itself, that's not bad to begin with. Then the landfall ability, and I'm reading this right off the card here, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain four life if this is the first time the landfall has resolved this turn, or uh, this time this turn, first time in the, in the turn. If it's mm -hmm. the second landfall for the turn, you add red, green, white, blue. If it's the third time you've gotten landfall this turn, Omnath deals four damage to each opponent and each planeswalker you do not control. So it's a landfall that stacks. That's, that's amazing. I. <laughs> I can barely imagine the deck that would pull off three landfalls in a turn. If you can do it, I mean, you deserve <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, you haven't played enough Modern Legacy, man. I tell you, I swear that happens with regularity in some decks, uh, especially a deck like uh, Am Amulet Titan, which seems to be able to just pump out land after land after land after land, two, three, four in a turn anyway. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
You're right. I don't, I don't play enough of that. I play too much limited. Yeah. Hey, you know, nothing wrong with it. You know, I got to love a good draft though, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, and then there's a, a new mechanic called uh, uh, essentially the party mechanic uh, where you have to have, essentially you're making an adventuring party with a wizard, a rogue, a cleric and a, a, warrior. a warrior. Yeah. Warrior. Thank you. Um, I mean, on paper, it's very flavorful. I'm a little worried it's not really going to pan out on the table in practice. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I was sort of thinking the same thing. Like, the, the, getting a couple of people in your party, it seems easy enough. But, like, actually getting a full party of four creatures out there without your opponent, you know, kneecapping you by taking out one of them, it seems like it'd be something that'd be difficult to pull off. And... I'm not sure how many full party abilities are potentially worth the trouble. Right. Especially in a 60 card format. That said, you know, kitchen table, casual, uh, EDH commander. I could see some people having some fun with it, especially, oops, hit my microphone, especially (laughs) in commander. Oh, I, I didn't even think about commander, but yeah, you could absolutely make use of that. Yeah, uh, maybe not competitive um, EDH, but certainly, you know, with friends um, over a beer, over a soda pop, kitchen, you know, kitchen table, living room table, just having some fun. There, there's something there. There's something you can do there. Yeah, I think so. You know, I sort of like that idea of like uh, mechanics that are being put in play less for competitive use and more just for like having fun. I think I, and I'm okay with that. Not every mechanic not every card not not every theme has to be a tournament quality top tier theme at least i don't think it it has to be Mm -hmm. i mean it's a game first right magic the gatherings is game games are supposed to be fun right exactly and it's like it's it's just the idea of having a party and harkens back to like rpgs and other video games like that and yeah it just feels fun yeah, and with that, going off of that, of course, uh, recently was mentioned that next year there's a Dungeons & Dragons-inspired set. It's actually Dungeons & Dragons-branded set, uh, Forgotten Realms, I believe, if I haven't forgotten. And I'm wondering if this party mechanic might get a reprise uh, in, the, in the D&D set coming out next year. Oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine that it won't. It's, it's too good of a fit to not do that. Right, right. I mean, next thing you know, they'll have to do a Final Fantasy co-branded one with Square Enix, and they'll bring it back for that. Who knows? That's, that's, I really like that idea, actually. <laughs> anyway, uh, getting back to Zendikar Rising, is there a card or two that's really caught your eye? There are. I, I made a list of, like, four or five that really caught my eye. But one in particular that I really like is Felidar Retreat, which is... It's a four drop, uh, it's big landfall enchantment. Basically, it's got one of two landfall abilities you can pick. One is to create a 2-2 uh, white creature token, and the other is to put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control and make them vigilant until end of turn. That seems the power in this creature is so huge to me. I mean, it's... Like, it's a cumulative landfall, but it's cumulative in such a big way. Like, each time you play it, that it's like a big deal to me, I think. I'm almost hearing, like, He-Man, I have the power! That's how much of a freaking geek I am. Um, <laughs> any, any others on the top of your list? And I'll share a couple of mine. 
Yeah, the the other one I had this as number two was Adrana, the Last Blood Chief, which is I need to pull this up to remember the exact text because I only prepared one card, like a fool. <laughs> yeah, it's you a, you fool! I'm I'm a fool. I'm I'm fired after this actually. <laughs> But yeah, it's a black card, a five drop, a four four flyer, which by itself is fine. But whenever Drana attacks the def- the opponent, it will choose a non legendary creature in your graveyard, and it comes back to the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. And if you can get multiple attacks off, like two attacks off with Drana, it's completely worth it. And just the fact that it's a flying creature I mean you're going to get a lot of attacks off unless someone is specifically prepared to take care of it. Uh, evasion is good, and flying sometimes gets overlooked just because of how passe it is. But uh, I agree, having flying on Andrana is definitely a perk. Mm-hmm. It, seems just, it seems like if someone is not specifically ready to take out a flying creature, Drana is going to do some serious work. Definitely can. Uh, on my list, uh, we mentioned Omnath earlier, the, the new Omnath, Locus of Creation. And while I think it's really neat, it's got a lot of good potential. It's not really on the top of my list. Uh, something on the top of my list, personally, and this just might be because I like the card that I feel this is inspired on, and this is an upgrade of, was uh, the old card Vampire Nighthawk. Uh, this new card is called Nighthawk Scavenger, and it is uh, for two black and one. It's a vampire rogue with flying death touch and lifelink. Uh, it's a one plus three defense one plus because nighthawk's power is equal to one plus the number of card types among cards in opponent's graveyard so it's almost like uh, a, a tarmogoyf it's, it's, it's like a tarmogoyf light but it is absolutely bonkers especially a three mana uh two black and one i understand it's a rare and rares tend to get pushed a bit more and the original was an uncommon vampire nighthawk was an uncommon but this is just screaming aggressive, especially with the death touch and the lifelink and the flying. Um, this, I think, is going to see some good uh, competitive play, definitely in standard. I could see people trying it out in modern, maybe in legacy. I'm not sure if it's quite strong enough for legacy, but it's, it's definitely going to see some play. Uh, that, that, is, uh, that is for certain. And uh, one other card I like, it's also a black card. I'm not necessarily a black player per se, but um, another card here is Soul Shatter, which is an instant for black and two with some pretty nifty art. Honestly, this art would make, would make a great tattoo. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube channel, of course, you can see it. If you're listening on the podcast, sorry, you have to check out the YouTube channel or just Google Soul Shatter MTG, you'll probably find it. But so for black and two at instant speed, each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker with a highest converted mana cost among other creatures and planeswalkers they control. So it's not necessarily targeted, so you might not get to pick, but it gets around hexproof, uh, it gets around protections, um, and it gets, it gets around indestructibility. Uh, so if you are playing against a player, let's say they have Emrakul in play, which is indestructible, or Ulamog, one of those big Eldrazi Titans, you can drop this uh, at instant speed on their turn, uh, and they're forced to sacrifice that, uh, that Eldrazi Titan. Or 
if they got the five mana Teferi out there and that's the, the, the highest mana cost, this is a real quick and easy way to get rid of that, of that pesky Teferi. Yeah, wow. I didn't, the circumventing Hexproof, I think that's a very clever and cool way of doing it. Yeah, yeah Soul Shatter, that was on my shortlist as well. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's, it's good. I mean, it's not necessarily the most original. Um, in, uh, I think it's called Innocent Blood, is each player sacrifices a creature, which gets around that, and that's an old card from Odyssey. But the way this card, the way a Soul Shatter does it, and that it expands to Planeswalkers, I think uh, can, can really, really save your butt. Oh, yeah. I, I could definitely use that whenever an opponent brings down like they're one huge drop. Mm -hmm. And uh, one other thing that I just at least needs a mention, uh, I'm not convinced it's going to be executed terribly well, but uh, again, I haven't seen this in practice yet. The new kind of double face cards where it's one card on one side and a land on the other, and you've got the dual lands that's one or the other, depending on what side of the card you're looking at. Just, just real quick, Jim, what are your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I, I got to see it in, in, in practice. Yeah, that one, I, it's hard for me to know exactly how well that would work out, like, for me. I think you would need to know, like, am I going to use this to replace a spell, or am I going to use this as a land that's maybe going to get a boost? It seems like it would be difficult, for, especially for newer players, to know how to work with them pretty well. I can say that as someone who is most likely the least skilled player who is going to be on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, as a limited player, though, what do you think about that in draft or sealed? Um, in draft, I... That is a good, it's a good question. I sort of like, like, the idea of it, for sure. The possibility that if you're just really big in trouble that this card you were saving, it could end up being a land instead and sort of come in the clutch there. So it's, it's definitely some added value, but I think it's also uh, some added difficulty just in drafting, especially in Arena if you've got a time limit. All right, well, we'll see how that executes uh, over time, I suppose, uh, uh, especially once the paper product comes out and people start manipulating it um, physically. Uh, but now let's move on to our weekly winners and losers. We're going to take a look at the top three cards that have gained and have lost value over the uh, last three weeks. And this is not limited to any one format. This is just overall. And uh, the information here comes courtesy of MTG Stocks. Uh, NTGSocks.com, that is. So uh, let's start with the weekly winners. Uh, we have two cards from Legends um, on here, as well as one from uh, a dual deck. So uh, we have, first off, the card that is the third, third highest uh, change, and this is ranked by percent of change, not by dollar amount per se, mm -hmm. is actually the common Seal of Fire, specifically uh, the dual deck uh, Fire and Lightning Seal of Fire. So... Um, is it Fire and Lightning? I'm all, all of a sudden forgetting. Either way, uh, I'm going to look this up while we're chatting about it. But uh, yeah, it was 33 cents. Yeah. Um, yes, that's it. Yes, that, that's the one, Jim. Uh, anyway, so it started off at 33 cents a week ago. It's now $2.04, which is an increase of 518% on that card. Um, 
The next one is Erdrago, which is a legendary creature from Legends. It was 656. It's now 5499, which is an increase of 738%. And then with an increase of a whopping 2858% is the card. <laughs> no, it's the card Ghost of Dirk was 995 is now $294.32. It's, it's the price of a, of a revised dual land now. Uh, Jim, I mean, these are not cards I would expect to see at the top of, of any, you know, stocks list, any finance list, and yet here they are. What, what do you think about this? Yeah, I was, I was looking up all these cards trying to figure out what could have caused this, and it goes to Dirk. I am mystified. It's like, right. It doesn't seem like a particularly powerful card, and I'm not sure it's necessarily going to dovetail all that well with the Zendikar Rising set that's coming out. So, so we can't say that's correlation there. I don't think the, so. The only thing I can think of, and this only qualifies for Ghost of Dirk or Drago because Seal of Fire is not on the reserve list. These other two cards are on the reserve list. So I'm wondering if these are collectors, speculators, artificially driving up the price, part of this finance, uh, magic finance bubble uh, that we have with a lot of these older, we'll never again see print cards. Hmm, that, I mean, that could be possible. That's the only thing I can think of is that it's sort of a collector's item. But why now, all of a sudden, like this was, this change was over the course of a week, wasn't it? Yeah, over the course of a week. And it's not like these cards haven't been out since 93, 94, these two older ones. Do, do you think that maybe this is like some sort of bot driven sort of thing? Well, you can see that occasionally on Amazon where a random item just skyrockets in price. I don't know. I, I do not know. Uh, you know, if this thing uh, plummets back down over the course of the next week or two, um, I guess we'll have our answer. It was either a failed speculation or maybe it is something artificial like, you, like you're suggesting. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye on it and see how it pans out. Right. Uh, and now the three cards that have lost the most value. Uh, we have Spire Garden, which uh, this specific printing is the expedition printing that will be coming out as, I believe they're coming out as box toppers for uh, uh, buying boxes of these Zinnikar Rising collector's edition and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But Spire Garden has fallen uh, from $32.99 a week ago to $17.85, which was a drop of uh, just shy of 46%. The Arabian Nights card, uh, Repentant Blacksmith, which is not on the reserve list, I might add, fell from $129.99 to an even $65, and that's a drop of 46.72%. And then Radiant Archangel, the uh, legendary creature from Urza's Destiny, which is on the reserve list, Radiant Archangel is, that one fell by 50.08%, so lost half its value over the course of one week. Uh, it went from $60 to $30. Hmm. All of these cards, they fell roughly like equal percentages of value, like 46%, 50%. Yeah, all, all within a stone's throw of each other, right. Yeah, the Spire Garden, if it's being reused, and that I can certainly understand. Its rarity is suddenly dropping. So yeah, It's not really suddenly dropping as an expedition because we're going to be so rare and hard to find anyway. I mean, where are we talking about? Maybe an extra few thousand copies in the market worldwide, maybe? I suppose, but I guess if maybe the collector's market sort of has a different 
view of rarity, like a few thousand more cards in the market, uh, how many people are there looking for this card in particular? Could it also be a few thousand? And how many people are actu actively using Spire uh, Garden uh, in their decks? I know it's not something I've seen uh, recently at all in anybody's deck. I mean, despite not playing a whole lot because of COVID, even before that, I never, never really saw it in, in, uh, at the stores, at least not here in the Sacramento area. Yeah, it looks like it's, you know, based on the text of the card, it's not super, like, any better than another dual land unless you're playing a game with more than two people in it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, those are the, the top three. And, and bottom three, we'll, we'll check in again uh, at, our, at our next episode next month and uh, see what's going on there. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe next time they'll make a little little more sense than a uh, ghost of dirt going up by almost 3000 percent in a week yeah but uh speaking of cards to put in a deck let me tell you a little bit about a deck i've been uh, working on just uh, just about completed it it is a lexi deck uh called uh, omnitel not exactly a specifically unique deck that uh, uh you know to me it's not like i invented it but this is my build of it and something i'm planning on on taking out and around from time to time uh, have it up on the screen there for those of you on YouTube. Again, those of you on the uh, audio podcast, you might want to check it out on the YouTube, or you can probably just Google it and you'll find, if not my build, a build similar to it. But So in this uh, deck, 60 Card Likes deck, I am running 19 land, 2 Ancient Tomb, which, you know, taps for 2, uh, damages you, but taps for 2, 1 Crystal Vein, which taps for 1 Colorless, or I can tap and sack to... Uh, to add two colorless. I have some fetch lands and three flooded strands, wooded foothill. Um, I am running uh, a Mystic Sanctuary to help me get back a, uh, a card that maybe I was had countered or got discarded. Get a little insurance policy there. I'm running two Prismatic Vista for fetching as well. I have one Tropical Island, um, the original dual land there. That's really a really big money card in this 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 deck. Um, in addition to five snow-covered islands and two snow-covered forests. Hmm. Um, creatures, we got two Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn, two Grizzlebrand, and three Icefang Coddles from uh, Modern Horizons. Instance, we got four Brainstorms, three Cunning Wish, one Factor Fiction, four Force of Will, one Impulse, one Intuition, three Veil of Summer. Got some Sorceries and three Drawn from Dreams from a recent core set. Four Ponder, two Preordain, four Show and Tell, Show and Tell being the key card in this deck, along with the Enchantment Omniscience. Omnis How do you say that? Om Om Omniscience? I, uh, omniscience is what I... Omniscience? Yeah. Fine. It's, we'll, we'll run with that. Omniscience. Four omniscience. We'll edit it. I'll just call it om nom nom nom. No, that's, that's if it was made of pizza. Uh, I am running one Sylvan Library and then sideboard, again, situational based on your meta, but in mine, I have two Poseju, two Carb of Flowers, two Echoing Truth, one Ellen Domery's Call, one Firemind's Foresight, one Force of Negation, Force of Vigor, Digger's Cage, two Mindbreak Traps, and a Veil of Summer, of course, in this deck, because I am running those three Cunning Wishes. My sideboard also doubles as a wish board so that I can go out and grab a card from it to put into my hand um, if the situation calls for it. Now, uh, of course, the key thing you really want to do here is you want to play your show and tell, which is a sorcery for blue and two that says each player may put an artifact, creature, enchantment, or land card from his or her hand into the battlefield. 
So it's a, it's a nice uh, parallel effect. I get to do it and Jim, you get to do it. Any, any one of those types if, um, from your hand into play. Of course, I'm going to be putting out the, um, the uh, 10 drop enchantment um, uh, omniscience. Um, um, how do you say it again? Uh, omni omniscience? Omniscience. I could be wrong about that. Uh, uh, well, it's spelled omniscience. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I know the adjective is just omniscient. So I right. Think similar. So. Um, anyway, it, it says, the enchantment says, you may cast spells from your hand without paying their mana costs. So I show until... Uh, omniscience into play and then suddenly I can play anything in my hand and uh, you know of course I still only get one land drop a turn but anything in my hand I can play for free which includes the creatures like Emrakul and Grizzlebrand and all the card draw like Brainstorm, the Cunning Wishes, uh, Drawn from Dreams, all that. I can get it all done right there um, and have an instant board state that you would now have to deal with or die. Yeah, I'll, I would probably die. <laughs> like, show, show and tell, that was a, a total three mana cost for that? Yeah, blue and two. Yeah, blue and two. It's an old card originally from the Urza's block. Seen a couple reprints since then, but yeah. Wow, so it's like you're basically circumventing the need to find another seven mana, and then you basically don't need mana again as long as Omniscient stays on Pretty the board. Pretty much don't need mana again. Uh, of course, if that gets disrupted... Uh, maybe uh, something happens and I don't have access to my show and tells, then I'm pretty much host. But you know what? It's, it's one of those things where you, you're probably going to fire off. And uh, for a deck that's worth, according to TCG player, between about um, $1,100 and $1,400, I kind of hope it fires off more often than not. At least that would, that would be the plan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, personally, if I had to choose between a deck that frequently won and a deck that frequently popped off in a flashy way, the latter is very tempting. <laughs> well, it's fun, if nothing, if nothing else, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and close down this, uh, this uh, podcast for, uh, for the day here. Uh, we talked a bit about Zendikar Rising, the... Uh, uh, some of our favorite cards from it, some of the uh, the mechanics, uh, Kicker, Landfall, and Party. We've talked about those uh, dual face cards. Some funny stuff in finance. And then, of course, my uh, blue-green Omnitel Legacy deck. Jim, what are your thoughts on any of that or anything else? Um, boy, um, the one thing uh, I'm not sure we got around to was talking about the Kicker stuff. Is... Well, that would be a Kicker. Let's do that now. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, how, how, how about them kickers? How about them kickers? Well, how about them, their ability to get the football? And I, I completely fumbled this joke. I apologize. But, <laughs> uh, but you, yeah, yeah, you, you picked it up with that fumble reference, so that was pretty good. Uh, so, kicker, actually, I am a fan of kicker. I've, I've liked it since its debut back in olden times and was very happy when it came back in Dominaria. It's back again in Zinnikar uh, Rising. And it, it's just one of those things where it just always kind of fits. Um, it, it's nice to have an expandable spell. It almost makes it modal in a way, especially if kicking it allows you to do something different or something else. Uh, it's one thing if, uh, if you have a card that, uh, and I'm just going off, uh, I'm just shooting off the, the hip here. Uh, if you have a card that's, let's say, one green, but if you pay... 
uh, you know, one green, it gives plus two, plus two. Uh, I think the card's called Sylvan Might, now that I think about it. It's an old card. But then you pay an extra two, uh, so it's now it's like green and two, and they get plus four, plus four. You know, it scales. That part's nice. But I kind of like it in, in cards like Into the Royal, uh, which is seeing a reprint in Zendikar Rising, uh, where it's blue and one, return target permanent to its owner's hand, kicker blue and one, draw a card. So for two blue and two, you essentially get a boomerang that replaces itself. Uh, so a kicker can be very, very handy, but it's also kind of a trap sometimes because you might be holding a card because you want to get it with the kicker. And sometimes right. you hold it too long and it kind of bites you in the butt. Yeah, that's, I have run into that trap before, certainly trying to pop off like my ultimate ability and then the opponent shuts me down first. I mean, sometimes it's what's more important to have uh, to have this uh, two three creature on the battlefield, or to wait four turns to uh, until I can afford the kicker, and all of a sudden I have a two three that enters the battlefield that gives all my creatures I don't know hexproof until the turn. I'm making it up, but at at, at some point you have to realize when is it more important just to go with version A versus version A plus B through kicker. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, in a draft scenario, you would probably need to be happy with either version of that card if you're going to be grabbing it, I think. Unless B is, like, an absolute bomb that can win you the game, I think you definitely need to be prepared to not kick a card if you're going to put it out. Right. And, um, okay, and to wrap this up, Jim, one final thought from you. Uh, Zendikar Rising out now on Arena, coming out in a week on paper. Uh, if you had one thought that could make or break the set for you, what would it be? One thought? Um, I guess it would depend on how effectively I can play with this landfall mechanic, which is the one thing I'm absolutely looking forward to the most. Because, like, if... It, I guess it depends on if I can keep these cards out or if I'm just going to find myself in my usual scenario, which is I put out my favorite card and the opponent removes it. I, I don't know. That's, that's not a very good answer. But. <laughs> hey, it's an answer. I know for me, I'm kind of looking a little bit of where we've been recently with the last couple sets and that Uro card uh, from, uh, from uh, Theros Beyond Death is just a thorn in my side. So a make or break for me is a way to effectively deal with not just Uro, but just the escape mechanic in general. So uh, I really kind of want to see where um, Zinnikar Rising steps in to help deal with with uh, the escape cards and, and uh, Uro uh, from, from uh, Theros Beyond Death. But uh, that does it for us here for uh, the Magic Unpa uh, Untapped podcast for this month, the month of September 2020. Uh, Jim, hope uh, your 2020 improves. Lord <laughs> knows it's been tough on all of us this year. I, feel, I would say it can only improve, but I would, I would not dare attempt fate like that. Well, between uh, pandemic, wildfires up and down the uh, the West Coast, we had like zombie bees at one point, I think. Yeah, we did. What yeah, happened like one, one dumpster fire after another. Well, let's 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 close that dumpster lid. Have a have a great month, and uh, we'll we'll see you next uh, next time for the next episode of uh, the Magic Untapped podcast. I'm Barry White. I'm Jim Avery. Thank you for watching. Take care.